were bad, but now they're okay. Only me or my, you're the apple of my eye, girl. I never loved one like you. Found you hiding here, so won't you take my hand, darling? There's nothing that can stop you from becoming popular, Lar. We're here doing chapter eight. Chapter too. eight. Yay. And we've made it to Halloween-ish area. This, I don't think Halloween's until actually chapter nine, but yeah, it's not. Um, we are two months out from the beginning. So mm-hmm. Kurt and Blaine have known each other for two months. They've been dating for a month for all those people who are crazy about timelines. Um, <laughs> I, I really not. I know, are I'm just kidding. you? One no, I'm really not. I don't care about the timeline <laughs> in this one. However, this timeline doesn't play with time. It's pretty straightforward. No. Um, so, um, but we actually, what we really actually opened up with, which is in, kind of important to talk about, is Blaine, and even though it's very vague imagery, um, him having sex with Cart, and he's getting a little antsy. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's valid. He is 23. It does say at some point. I did read it, but they're both 23. Um, but, you know, they've been dating for a month and, and he's been very patient and he's like, you know, I'm really afraid that Kurt may not want sex at all. And that's a problem because Kurt mm-hmm. is, you know, all about kissing and touching, but hasn't really done anything to push along sex. And Blaine right. is like, mm-hmm. so, which I mean, I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother podcast, but I'm not. It's a very divided thing, I feel like, at the time in fandom. Was Kurt like that in canon, or was he not? Yeah. Well, and in here, there's... It's going to be a little bit of a process, because Mm -hmm. when she brings up the physical assault with Karofsky, that almost plays 
God, I hate to say it like this, but I think it's true. The Karofsky stuff almost plays like a rape scene. Yeah. Um, and so Kurt Or at has, least a, a non-consensual scene. I mean, and it is in canon, but not to right. the extreme that mm-hmm. Kurt takes it in here. So there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of the still, this weird female-coded thing mm-hmm. where, you know... It's just going to take this version of Kurt a while, whereas I don't think Kurt and Cannon is the same way about it. Right. Um, so, but Kurt and Cannon is much younger too. I think that's like the other thing that's throwing me off. Like these guys are supposed to be twenty three, um, and Kurt has had no experience at all. Well, I mean, then he's also later on, much later on, Kurt mentions a time where he goes on a date with a guy and gets really super drunk and the guy tries to have sex with him. Right. And he says no and the guy doesn't listen. And Rachel comes in with Mace, which is really funny, but uh, uh, the thought of her coming in is Mace, not the the semi-rape stuff. Um, right. <laughs> but I think that also piles on. I mean, obviously, Ken and Kurt didn't have any of that stuff. Um, right. So, right. Just it's just a different beast, and um, you know, and Ken and Kurt had Blaine to distract him from everything that was going on with Karofsky. So mm-hmm. this Kurt didn't. So maybe he could have taken that situation a lot harder than it was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's yep. all it's all subjective. Yep, exactly. Um, we get another scene um, with uh, Kurt talking to Bart. I think this is the first time, other than near the beginning, we get a conversation with Bart. And, um, you know, it's about Thanksgiving, about how Bert wants to know about Blaine, wants to know what's going on. Um, you know, Kurt is very in his head, as he usually is, but says something about Blaine kissed him and the glass case around his heart shattered, uh-huh. which I think is an interesting imagery. I like it, actually. Um, whereas, you know, Kurt was very shielded himself and is beginning to really let Blaine in. Yes. Um and trying to communicate to Bert about his feelings for Blaine. Um, it's funny. I did write in my notes. At this point, I'm getting tired of Kurt's inner monologue about how unworthy he is. Yes. Um, <sighs> he, it does get tired. Again, it's that repetitive, you know, had Rain Joy actually been going for published fiction and trying to edit, we, somebody would edit it, that'd probably get edited way down. But there is a lot of Kurt feeling like he's unworthy. And that's not not legitimate i mean there are people who are like i just don't feel worthy i just don't feel worthy, you know but to read it it gets tiring because especially mm-hmm. when kurt canon kurt doesn't ne- doesn't necessarily think he's unworthy kurt canon kurt my reading on him is that he he thinks he's above everybody else he's like yes. whatever He's very, he's much more confident in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, he's very lonely and he, but it's also a, you know, I'm better than you. He's much more, he's much more judgmental. Um, Well, and also, you know, this is a conversation that I've had with fandom before, you know, you have to, with a kid in Kurt's position, when you're young, he is very judgy of other people and thinks he's above himself. Not necessarily mm-hmm. um, all the other ghosts, Kurt, but Canon Kurt. But he has to be. It's a defense mechanism. Right. I actually don't think of the, all the other ghosts, Kurt, is like that at all. No, um, I don't either. Yeah. So that's a big difference. Um, it's this whole idea that, 
you know, uh, this Kurt is very altruistic in a way that fan, regular Kurt is more selfish. But I think it also, I almost want to say real Kurt or real Kurt, uh, canon Kurt <laughs> feels more realistic in a lot of ways. He feels, I mean, yes, <sighs> this Kurt. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, especially yeah, at we're going to get too much in the weeds. <laughs> we gotta... <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep going. Um, the important part, though, is like when you take away all of that additional like stuff that kind of weighs down, you do get this general like uh, Kurt seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, saying like really starting to see, you know. There is good in this world. There are people that I can let in. There is, a, you know, I was finishing up chapter 13. And when we get there, Kurt even says, you know, there are reasons to live. And at this point, he's still trying to figure out, you know, are there, he's still trying to come out of this dark place and still learning that there are reasons to enjoy the world, not just survive it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yes. All right, so we get more fandom shenanigans. Yeah. I, oh my gosh, <laughs> precious little muffins. Um, the first mentions of Black Bindings, who is a middle-aged fan um, mm-hmm. who does a lot of writing. Um, whereas we talked about Drax is kind of the middle. Drax is kind of in the middle. Um, Black Bindings is writing, and eventually there's Ghostly, who she's kind of. I don't know how to describe her. Um, very aggressive on the internet. She's very opinionated, very, eh, I don't know. It's, she's probably in fandom, a polarizing person. Uh Um, but like either you love her or you hate her. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, um, but I like the little moments with this, you know, I hope they have enough condoms, um, squeen for the five sign when it shows up. And Oh gosh, this sequence. Okay. This, cause this is such a cool thing to talk about. Let's talk about this. Um, so somebody says offhand, maybe I should like almost die so that they can rescue me. Yeah. And so other people are like, you know what? You shouldn't wish, you know, bad things. Nobody wants bad things to happen to them. You shouldn't want them to do that. And then other people are like, maybe it starts this real thing that happens in fandom called policing in which yeah. somebody, you know, says something offhand and then other people are like, you can't say that. And then other people are like, well, you can't tell them that they can't say that. <sighs> and as someone who's been on the other end of policing, it's hurtful. Like, it's mm-hmm. very, like, I didn't mean it the way that it was taken. And I can't, it's gone. Yeah, you do. You just have to write it out. It kind of comes, like, what is fandom's actual you know, function, where do you draw the line? Like if somebody says something blatantly racist, there is a, a thing where you're like, Hey, just as an FYI, that's racist. You probably shouldn't say that, but there's a difference between that and then kind of bullying into somebody to have the same opinion as you. Um, and this is kind of drawing the line. I mean, I like that, that she picks a, a kind of gray area of, you know, should you fake trying to be rescued to get your favorite, you know, it's kind of like, should you go over and bother your favorite actor while they're eating so you can get an autograph? Right. Well, I mean, most of us wouldn't. Um, but, you know, what are the lines of fame? I mean, it is, you know, you give up some privacy when you become famous. Where is the line? Right. Oh, you know what's a great example is in real, I mean, this really happened. Somebody came to Darren Chris's um, 
it came to his performance and gave him a copy of Chris Colfer's Land of Stories and asked him to sign it. Right. And, oh, God. And, yeah, that's awkward. And Darren was straight up like, I didn't write this. This is weird. But he signed it anyway because that's, like, the only thing the fan had. And, um, you know, no, they weren't really in the right to, like, that wasn't a, a comfortable thing for any of us. At the same time, technically, they didn't do anything wrong either. Right. Like, they didn't. You know, say, you know, I think you guys are dating or I think, you know, I'm a just big Chris Colbert fan and I'm just trying. What They really literally didn't do anything that, like, we needed to, like, you know, jump on them and yell at them and tell them how horrible they were either. Correct. So was it, it was it maybe a little inappropriate? Sure. But it was it wrong? No. Yeah. So that's where this like fandom police stuff comes in. That's what again, this is one reason why I really like the story is she's able to take these fandom issues and fandom like things that happen really in fandom and really uh, you know shed light on what's going on and i think that is so cool that this stuff kind of stuff comes up so um in this chapter we get a couple of new characters um we get paul who is paul (laughs) blaine's classmate there's this paul guy (laughs) i want you guys everyone to know that in our notes that's exactly what pam wrote so (laughs) <laughs> well, that's what sounds like what I would say. Um, I do. I write like I speak. It's crazy. Um, I love it. Never stop. <laughs> the thing about Paul. Okay. The, you know why I think it's funny? Again, it's because Paul was the original name of Adam. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know why they changed that. But anyway. Because they wanted um, the alliteration of Adam's apples. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I wonder what it was originally. <laughs> Paul's peaches. Paul bear. I don't know. Oh, I bet Paul's it was peaches. Pipers. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it was peaches, and they said no. And the network was like, "You can't do that." <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god. god. Anyway, so anyway, and Ranger, this is before season four. Like all of this was written, I think, end of season three, going into season four. And she really, she kind of stopped watching the show, by the way. Um, yes, she did. She, she watched some of it up through season five because in Grey there is some mention that she knew what the proposal was. But for the most part, well, I, I think she kind of went, because a lot of people did this. And I, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. They would like, after an episode would air, people would piece together the clean scenes and post them wherever. Oh, yeah. I think she was just watching the clean scenes. Yeah, I do too. Um, just, you can tell she was very much a fan of seasons one and two. She doesn't really pull, I mean, season three is done. I mean, Cooper was at the end of season three. So a lot of this was written in that summer and, um, you can tell she doesn't pull from a lot from season three either. So, Mm -mm. um, so anyway, this Paul guy, um, (laughs) I, I don't know what to make of it. It is a thing where, um, it's a Blaine's classmate. I, I like Canon. Kurt has his own kind of world, as we've often talked on the rest of the podcast, mm-hmm. and Blaine doesn't. So this is kind of a way to give Blaine a person. I mean, Sebastian's around but at this point, but Sebastian is going to be brought up in, as a villain in Grey, uh-huh. um, and which is, makes well, It makes sense. me think she probably already has plans for Sebastian. Yeah, I think she already had Grey plotted out. I know that she uh-huh. had this one. I think that she had an idea for Grey as well. Um and Paul was, you know, he'll eventually be somebody that pops up here and there, uh-huh. but it also feels like 
maybe she had an I more of an idea for him, and maybe then she decided to drop it because mm-hmm. it doesn't really do much. Here he doesn't. He like makes him like, oh, you st-. it's kind of like Elliot in a way. Like, oh, you were up all night, and like, no, what we were really doing was fighting alligators and sewers. <laughs> 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 um, which, by the way, which I think is a veiled Jacob and Israel. Mm-hmm. Not, but I can't exactly tell that he was the one coming up with the alligators or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. So there's it's Paul. Someone. He's there. He's gonna be around a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, yeah, it, it is also nice to remember that Plain actually has to go to school though and do things. Right. Um, likewise, Kurt has to actually go to work. And we get Chandler. And while he's at work. <laughs> um, the Jeez, Chandler character's hilarious. By the way, just as an FYI, now that we're this far, you know, it, now that I really know who Tyler Oakley is, I agree. Like, Tyler Oakley is Chandler. That just... Yes. It, 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 wow. But anyway, Chandler in here is kind of funny. It is oh, it's excruciatingly awkward when he tries to ask Kurt out. I know. Poor oh. little baby. And like one of the coworkers is like, it's like Bambi headbutting his clone. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> but the minute, you know, the minute Kurt says that he's dating somebody, Chandler's like, oh, tell me all the details. And it, it gets, right. I'm glad it gets away from that weird yes. awkwardness. And Chandler what just I starts. I would have wanted Chandler to be in the actual episode. Yeah. Now, is Kurt looking at Vogue? I don't think so. I think he just works for a fashion house. Okay, because I'm like, maybe she, this, I have to look at the dates of when she actually wrote this. Maybe she did write this at the beginning of season four. But the Burry won't show up until gray, so. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, he starts opening up and Chandler is the one who's like dreamy-eyed. And Kurt's dreamy-eyed, but Chandler says, you know, you're, you're basically tells him you're in love. Mm-hmm. And that's when Kurt's like, wait, what? Like, what? What's going on here? Um, and I'm afraid it kind of teeters on 12-year-old girl level, but okay. <laughs> like, it, it is. Like, it, I'm, I'm trying not to harp too much on the female coding of Kurt, but yeah, mm, sometimes. There. You just have to, you, yeah. we, we have to address it because it's there. Just so you know. You know it's I mean? part like, of the story. And like it I said, it's it's more than... I want to make it clear that it's more than just a, a feminine male. Um, there's a difference between, a, you know, a man who is effeminate, who, you know, likes fashion, has a high voice, has kind of a lot of those stereotypical, you know, effeminate traits, and then someone who is actually acting like a female, Correct. Um, or put or, in a female role. Right. And th- it gets tricky because, I mean, like, <sighs> yeah, I'm, I just, these conversations aren't easy because gender is a fluid thing and it is, you know, uh, but, but you know, Kurt is not a, a trans woman. I mean, no. it, she, he's very much a man and it just gets tricky to you know it's it's a weird a weird thing but the the way she's writing it is and i wonder i just wonder if this comes out of like 
writing other things. I don't know a lot of what she's written outside of the Glee stuff. I know that she's written quite a bit and everything else. And a lot of it comes from, since there aren't really any females here, Kurt it becomes the mouthpiece for a lot of feminine issues that mm-hmm. she, that Rainjoy wants to talk about, which not isn't necessarily the most appropriate way to do it. You should have a woman actually doing this. Correct. Um, or even trans woman, like, who's also a woman, you know, talking about this. Um, but having a, a female-coded man. Uh, so that's why I keep talking about it. That's yeah. Like I said, it becomes less as it goes on. It's not as yeah. much of an issue the more that the she settles in on this version of Kurt. But anyway, um, we get more fandom stuff. I like. There's a line where it's like, uh, "Did you get any fi- pictures?" And the person's like, "I was being mugged." What I do you was think? Being mugged. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was being mugged. Didn't have time to pull out my phone. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cracks me up. Um, so this is our first appearance of Ghostly. Um, and, and she kind of goes into this whole thing. Okay, so because there's the ghost, and does the ghost equal, uh, you know, the real journalism? This is this is hilarious, because the real journalist picks up, you know, is the ghost gay for the first time? And <laughs> I love the sarcasm, and like, what do you think? We've been, like, they're straight up stealing stuff from fandom. They're, you know, like, fandom has already had these conversations, and now mainstream is picking it up. Um, and there's kind of some interesting conversation, not only just about the, you know, the superhero being gay part of it, but also, you know, fandom has latched on to things, and this is true real life, way faster than anything would happen, you know, any kind of mainstream anything would happen. And even now, I think it's, you know, Twitter also wasn't as prevalent as it was, I feel like. Twitter has become in the last four or five years way more of a, a news outlet than yes. um, than it was even when she was writing news. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before, I mean, so even so, like, so now I think things like fandoms and things like outside sources and whatever, they are, they have more of a voice because more people are reading all sorts of things, not just the straight up CNN, NBC, right. Fox, and MSNBC, all these, you know, explicit news sources, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I would agree yeah. with that. Um, so, um, there is a little bit, she does, I like when Rainjoy switches up her style, she has a whole section of just dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of like, it's Kurt and Blaine talking about their everyday life and talking about the tell, Kurt telling everybody at the office and about how his dad wants to meet him and what they're going to have to do on Halloween because they have to go out and just, you know, it's, it's neat to see that she does it very effectively. A lot of the times, just little bits and pieces of their conversation, which is really, really works before we go back to our fandom stuff. <laughs> um, you know, there's a threesome fic, which I think is hilarious that like, this person reading this threesome was like, oh, I, I read it at lunch. And I'm like, who reads my, at lunch? Like, I don't know how people do that. Apparently, people do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, this person did, used to do that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> don't be sorry. <laughs> um, there's um, there's the ethic question of the fandom bike. Because Kurtz becomes... But he was... It's kind of funny. Because Kurt was the fandom bike a little bit in actual Glee fandom. Like, everybody... Right. Um, fandom bike and ethics question. 
I don't know. I mean, I think this gets into a little bit here of like, should they be hooking up with Kurt? But it's different when it's a real person. That's the other it thing. Is. Like, Kurt, you know, hooking Kurt up with any character on the show, any even female character on the show, that is fine. He's a fictional character. But if you took Chris, mm-hmm. the actor, and did that, eh, that's probably not. I don't know. It goes into some yeah, weird places. There's a, there's, it's an, there's a line, and uh, and I'm not sure where it is, honestly. Yeah, I can't it's, tell you where it is. Yeah, and because it's not explicitly important to the story, I don't know. I feel like we can kind of just move on. But yeah, <laughs> um, the first mention of Iborg, I put Iborn, Iborg, <laughs> in Chicago, who is Artie? Artie is Iborg. Artie is Iborg. Iborg is. It's funny. I it depends on if you're kind of reading Marvel or DC, but he's a little bit of a mix between Iron Man and whatever the, the cyborg. cyborg is in DC. Um, which we'll get into more because he will show up again. He'll actually show up, and he's a very interesting character. Um, and yes. and brings a lot. He actually moves the plot, <laughs> which he is does. kind of nice because sometimes Quite a bit, actually. This, this plot becomes a little stalled in this area of the fanfic. Um, there's also kind of probably because she was writing about Iborg in Chicago. Um, the first mention of Ghost or the mention of Ghost Hunter 22, and Ghost Hunter 22 is trying to figure out who Kurt and Blaine are, and fandom shuts them down I pretty mean, hard. Shuts them down. Yeah, probably led by Ghostly, who is that mm. type of person to do that. Now, the thing that's important here. Um, there's a couple of things that come out of this. One is the fact that I think if it were real, fandom would not have intervened as much. I, unfortunately, I think that if, you know, we call well, it Tumblr CSI and, but mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I also, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe it wouldn't have been done so blatantly. It probably would have been done I'm, behind the shadows. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to pull back the curtain. There are a lot of things that we know about specific actors and whatnot, which I call the underground network. Yep. And we know them because you know a person who knows about it who probably got these photos or this information from a source that they shouldn't have gotten. Correct. Um, so we know things that we shouldn't know. I've seen pictures I shouldn't seen. I know things I probably shouldn't know. Um, no, they're not that interesting because we're like, what do you know? It's really whatever. You probably know it or have pieced it together already anyway. Um, but um, there is, it's it, it's an ethics thing. I mean, these people are allowed to have their own privacy. Right. Um, and here, it's like, here... The, it's like a little bit different than just saying somebody who's famous. These guys are superheroes and they wear masks and there are a lot of consequences um, if they figure out who they are. Like right. you find out their their actual identities. There are a lot of people, their families could be in harm. You put them in harm. You they, The police could go after them. The supervillains could go after them. I do, you know, I do think that the fandom would be a little bit more adamant in this situation because it is, there are some really, really, really high consequences Correct. that come with it. And this guy is really, um, really digging. Now, I think it's not ever explicitly said, but I do think this ties in with the main plot of the, the fic, uh, you know, that there is somebody who is 
Um, tracking kind down of, supers. Yeah, tracking down supers. Um, and I think this is intentional. I think this is, this could be a couple of people, but I think it's not just some random person. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when they like, they show up randomly trying to find information and then they're shut down pretty quickly. And then, you know, right. Um, so I think you're probably right. Um, cause in the next, you know, in the next scene, um, Blaine returns home to check the internet and he finds out about the meltdown mm-hmm. and um it he's kind of like he there's a moment where Blaine's kind of like well I feel a little bad that you know this guy got completely shut down um you know but yeah but he shouldn't I mean he shouldn't you know, it's, no it's, it's he shouldn't no, um, there's also a little bit of a little, a couple other little things within these these little portions of um, uh, the first being um, somebody says he was better with Puxilla, and somebody else is like, well, Puxilla tried to kill him. What's wrong with you? Right. Because <laughs> there's always the Puxilla shipper um, that she always adds in there, but I do think it's funny when it's like, what's wrong with you? They try, you know, and I. I feel like it's funny commentary, a little bit of shade to the Karofsky Kurt shippers. Because seriously, uh, you know what? They're not around anymore. So I'm going to totally say it. What the frick is wrong with you people? Right. Um, um, Blaine Karofsky was a different thing entirely, but I don't mind the AUs or the far out, but the stuff that was like straight up, you know, let's not. Like making it work within canon? No. It doesn't work there. Um, so, yeah. Um, there's um, interesting commentary about the big-name fans and what they can accomplish. Because the big-name fans are, are the ones that shut down this Ghost Hunter 22. And it's an interesting thought. I don't think Kali had big-name fans the way, say, Harry Potter fandom did. Mm-hmm. I think that there were people who were more prolific and a lot of the times they were the writers but i don't think there were there were one or two people who had connections um to because they lived in la if nothing Mm -hmm. else so they were privy to maybe spoilers or you know stuff like that but i don't think there were any there was anybody who could like get things accomplished there was nobody that had connections to ryan murphy and who could get something changed or and, and stuff like that but i do think in other fandoms I think the big name fans, well, and, and, you know, there might be a difference because of the way live journal communities work is different than maybe Tumblr. You can mm-hmm. have like one person's blog and everybody is on that kind of the way TBD is, but I don't have, I don't have the pull or the reach that I would consider with big name fans, if that makes right. any sense. Yeah, it does. Um, so I don't know. It's a little bit different of a, a thing. I don't know if I'm making any sense. But. You are. Okay. Also, just a shout out to Blaine singing Katy Perry. Um, <laughs> right. It's in there. There. So, uh, meanwhile, again, with this more of this fandom conversation about real life issues, Rachel brings up the article about the ghost being gay, and she's interested in it for psychology's sake. 
Um, you know, I actually think she's not completely wrong to be interested in the conversation. No. Um, Kurt shuts her down, and understandably so. Um, Kurt trying to deflect is priceless. Also, I got soy milk if the, um, on the in the off chance that you're vegan again. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, but, yeah, I do think there's a... I get it when it gets to Rachel, like her having all of these conversations. Um, I don't know. It's just an interesting little it is. added. It's very layer. interesting. It's it's different. You know, Rachel is. I like the way she writes Rachel. I, I do I too. Will say that. I actually like Rachel here better than regular um, Rachel. Well, that's that goes back to Rachel needed someone who was a woman to write her. Yeah. Well, and also Rachel works better as the as the side character in somebody else's yes. story. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Rachel also says that she really likes that Blaine makes Kurt smile and that his edge is leveled off and he kind of agrees, agrees. and it's kind yeah. of a nice thing. So, um, yeah, I guess there's more. F- there's another fandom thing. Well, wow. personalities begin to converge and fandom begins to take shape without Blaine. Um, and this is really where fandom emerges and Blaine is kind of separate and different yeah, away from that. Yeah, not really... I mean, I kind of... I think you're made to understood that he's still seeing a lot of it, mm-hmm. but he's not really a part of it any much anymore. Right. Well, and then even, you know, Blaine and Kurt at the end have a conversation about what they control and what they can't and, mm-hmm. you know, about being gay and... And it's kind of funny because, again, I think it's one of those things where in the time, even, characters dealing with being gay and how they're perceived um, is a thing, whereas now it is a little more normalized. And in Mm -hmm. fiction and in, you know, whatever, even the media, it isn't going to be as this huge thing. I mean, like even in America, we've got this, you know, one politician and he's a gay man and he's running for president essentially. And that's not as shocking as it would have been even five, six years ago. Yeah. I would agree with that. So, so yeah. So yeah, there, there's the whole, there is an interesting little like nugget of the time that is written in and that she is having these conversations about how other people are having conversations about Kurt and Blaine being gay. But and I don't want to say it's not relevant or anything. Um, it was definitely, it, it's definitely an added part of the story that probably needed to be there, at least especially in the time that she wrote it. Um, but I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, and, and you know what? Um, the, the chapter ends with um, they're happy that they're gay because they found each other. Um, a pinky in the brain reference, which is cute. Because what are we going to try and do now? Take over, take over the, the world. world. And um, an ending moment of them holding on to each other and helping each other. It's really nice. It's a really sweet little moment where, like, Ghost turns them intangible and Blaine slides them down on his them on the shield. And it's a nice, like, little mo- nod to their, okay, their, their partnership now. Right. And mm-hmm. it's really kind of cool. And I like that. So, so, yeah. So that's chapter eight. It's chapter eight, guys. I know we're whipping through these a little faster than we did the first ones, but it, it's we got a lot to go and we a lot to cover, and we just want to make sure we get everything done for you guys. So we're hitting on maybe bigger points than we were before. So correct. Chapter eight, cool. This is chapter nine. Chapter we're, nine. Chapter nine. We're doing this. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm glad. I'm the nice thing about. I mean, a little bit in chapter eight, but chapter nine, ten, moving on. There's more going on the chapters move a little bit better there's a little bit more 
things happening, There's which is kind of nice to compare with the action. Exactly. So sometimes, you know, when they're in their heads, there's a lot of little moments. And I know, like I said, we, we did a, talked a little bit more about those little moments in the first four chapters. But I mean, honestly, it's it's just if we would be here all day if we picked out every little thing Correct. and went through every little thing. And we just don't have the time. I'm sorry, guys. But I do, you know, again, I recommend you guys go back and you read it yourself and find things you liked and, and let us know. And we, what we're thinking of yes. doing is um, having a whole podcast if we can get enough people interested. Just what are your thoughts on all the other ghosts or the stuff that we've talked about? What are your responses? And we'll collect all of those and we'll talk about right. them because I know we did that a little bit Um that chapter four, I think we did, but anyway, yeah. um, we'd love to do that again. So we'd love to hear from you. So anyway, chapter nine is Halloween and the fun oh. part that comes with Halloween. Little the baby cl- thing. <laughs> <laughs> which is better than the ghost that costumes, yeah. the sexy ghost costumes, oh, which yeah. crack me up. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, and, and, <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, all the little babies that are dressed up as Curtin Blaine, which is yes. adorable. It's also an intentional plot point, but um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, and I love how excited Blaine is about it. He's like, oh my God, little people dressed as me. I know, and Kurt's like, oh, I'll let him watch a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Um, and I do like, like, Kurt inside his head, he's being amused and being in love and being more adjusted to the thought of, like, we're getting out of the whole, like, I'm not worthy of this and yes. nobody should love it. Yeah, just God. They just weighed down some of those early chapters. So we're kind of getting away from that, which is kind of fun. Um, he calls Blaine the sun. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is kind of a fascinating thing because, uh, you know, in canon, he, he basically t- says that Blaine is the person to rip away stuff like blocking the sun. Right. And, um, I don't know. It's very sweet. I think that it's it, brain droid has this interesting knack of grabbing onto things that fandom or not fandom that canon will actually do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's kind of neat. There's also the reference to cat cat bleh, Kurt as a cat and Blaine as a dog and dogs. fandom does this all the time. I get it. I mean, you got Kurt who's cagey and sly and thinks things through and is a little more careful and Blaine just being like a crazy little puppy. Right. Um, so I, I get it. I think it's the way that they deal with affection too. Like a cat yes. is is very affectionate, but it's got to have a relationship with you and and trust you and that. Well, most cats anyway. I know some cats yeah. that are just like just love me. Mm-hmm. But dogs, as a general rule, are very like just love everybody. Don't care who it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. absolutely. It's very a call to how they how they treat affection too. Exactly. Um, so, um, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have put that down. Uh, oh, the other thing I wrote in my notes is that I like, I, I will take Kurt as a cat, Blaine as a dog over um, the gender role stuff. Yes. Um, I like it much better. And and again, she's going to step away a little bit from that. Um, you know what else helps, I think? Um, because she's going to start having her three fandom girls pop up and say a lot of things. I'm yeah, so they if, can be the mouthpiece for the, witch, the woman. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I, I do think, I think Greenjoy is a very intelligent person. I think she's very, 
you know, you can tell she studied a lot of literature. She is very proactive in her ethics and her um, understanding of how the world works, her understanding of minority issues. I just think when you're trying to conflate all of these things to a couple of specific characters who are already outlined and defined by an actual canon, it oh. becomes hard to express everything that you feel like you need to express. Right. I don't, that, that was a very academic sentence, and I feel very proud of it. Um, <laughs> you should be. Okay. Um, you know, there's a little scene, this mugging scene, though. That's the interesting thing. There's, a, like, I guess this guy on really hard drugs that, like, you know. Uh, this is the first action sequence. It's not very long, but that I don't think there's any character development. There really just on pr- Yeah, and it's really weird because Rando is usually very good about... She she wants to have action in there because it is a superhero story, but usually all of the action sequences have purpose. And this little scene, I couldn't find any. So if you guys like can do whatever, um, I mean, I guess you could make an argument that it's it's not necessarily like um, character development, but maybe plot development. It's just like, this is what they're going to do. And this is something that they do often. And it's not really talked about because they do it a lot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You could make that argument. I don't know if that's valid, but you could make it. But I I just, maybe because we have this next scene coming up where um, this woman was beaten, like really beaten by her boyfriend. Uh And it gives Blaine a lot of introspective time. And since you have this, you really need the random mugging scene. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. I'm just nitpicking again. Um, So um, there's this section. There's a lot of a lot of bits in this section. So we're gonna break this down a little bit. Um, There's a lot going on here. (laughs) <laughs> there first of all um because most of this is just blaine thinking <laughs> um but anyway the first part of it is the stuff and 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 blaine is still getting used to this whole idea of extreme violence um mm-hmm. that kurt is kind of i don't want to say used to because you never get really used to that kind of stuff but he's, kurt he's is almost like numb to it right he's experienced he's like okay this this is stuff is worse but i will deal with it um Kurt is the one that goes and walks the victim or the woman um, to safety while Blaine... I don't know if he's left with the criminal, if the criminal got away. No, but the he's, criminal... Let's see. The guy's still there, I think, and he's just watching uh-huh. over him. Um, and... Um, the thing I find, the thing that point that came up to me, interestingly, is that this dynamic, the Kurt and Blaine's dynamic, where Kurt is the gentle one, and Blaine, the one in his head, who's like, I you know, I would, I want to like punish the criminal type, very aggressive thing, is actually flipped in in canon. Kurt yes. would be the one who would be, I'm going to punish this guy, I'm going to beat the crap out of him, I'm going to, you know, and Blaine is the more gentle one. Actually, I think he would be the one walking victims and and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, but. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about in Bash, you know, Kurt is definitely the one that's going to stand and fight, whereas I agree, Blaine's going to be the one that's going to be, like, going to rush to the victim. Like, are you yeah, okay? Exactly. Exactly. So, it's funny. I mean, but I do think this is the way Bannon saw Kurt and Blaine back before season three, mm-hmm. and those particular roles held tight, yeah. you know, for a long time, so... Um, within this, there's a flashback to Mike and Tina. We haven't really seen much of Mike and Tina yet. Um, and, 
Um, Tina, okay, so, like, they went to go get blood because, you know, so that, they, you know, Mike and Tina have blood and stuff like that. Um, they talk about a little bit of about of Kurt's backstory of when he first met Mike and Tina because he saved Tina and um, Kurt, I guess, there's, like, a moment where they talk about Kurt falling asleep watching a musical because super films are too unrealistic, which made me laugh. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. <laughs> Um, Mike, it's, you know, that, yes, that's, I'm uh, sorry. I'm just reading my notes and getting confused. Um, cause it is, it's, it's like a flashback within a flashback. It's like some inception stuff going on because the Blaine is waiting around with this criminal and he's thinking about Mike and Tina and how Mike and Tina are telling him about how they met Kurt. Um, right. Which is just complicated. Um, and, uh, but Tina, um, in the, when they're giving blood part of it, is talking to Kurt and really like nosy about in a cute way, I should say Mm -hmm. about their relationship. And, um, like Tina's like, I thought you weren't going to be dating anybody. And Kurt's like, you know, I'm breaking my, a lot of my rules with this one. Right. Um, which is really kind of neat. But, um, Let's see. My, one, my, my, one of my notes. Back in real time, a discussion over women's rights, how complicated they are in situ- these situations. And while Rangeroy does great things, commenting on social commentary, sometimes I'm a bit flabbergasted that she pushes Kurt and Blaine into these seemingly gender roles so often. Um, so, yeah, this goes along with the, what we were talking about earlier, where Blaine is like, I want to kill this guy. And Kurt's like, no, let's not do that. You know this, and, and and there is a good discussion about women's rights, which is why the scene exists, really, so that she can have a conversation about battered women. Um, but are Kurt and Blaine necessarily the great mouthpieces to do this? And again, when she kind of develops her three women in fandom, uh-huh. that can change. And so Kurt and Blaine don't have to be that. So, right. Still in the same section, but completely going in a totally different direction. Uh, we've got uh, <laughs> uh, Iborg. Yes. Uh, our first introduction to Iborg. Um, yeah, which this, like I said, this really struck me as Iron Man-ish. Um, now, that's just my Avengers Marvel. I, I realized that there is a, a DC character ca- called Cyborg who could be just as much of a stand-in. And it's still already. I mean, it's not. Iron Man, it's not Cyborg. No, it is very much Artie. Yeah. But some of the some of the just conversation around here reminds me very much of Marvel. Um, Iborg mentions joining a group of supers, um, which definitely will happen more in gray. Um, yes. Kurt mentions that the government tried to get them all to register, and that it didn't go over well, and that's when I'm like, did she read Marvel Civil War? Because that happened about 10 years before uh, came out in 2006. So maybe like seven or eight years before she wrote this. Um, and it, they get in a conversation, which is essentially the, the plot line of the Marvel civil war, not the movie, uh-huh. but the, the, the actual comic books, the comic books. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that all based about um, the government wanting them to register, but then they had to release their personal information. Right. Um, and that's when Captain America and Iron Man got in a big fight because Captain America is like, we're not doing that. And Iron Man's like, well, we, we owe it to these people and it just a whole big thing. And a lot of the scene, like I said, reminds me of that whole civil war discussion. So it makes me wonder if Rainjoy has read stuff like that because this is before civil war, the movie came out. 
Right. So. Um, me. She, no. she has a lot of comic themes that run through. I would, I would, yeah, I would guess she probably has read something to the effect of that. Yeah. I also, you know, she, um, that is a big, big plot line. So I think it is also something, you know, what is also a part of the original X-Men films. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of Curtin Blaine and the minority of, of supers sometimes reminds me of the X-Men stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of the stuff is just in general cultural, you know, you would want to talk about this anyway. Um, so anyway, that's fair. Um, the other thing to note, though, about Iborg is that, first of all, he's kind of at a little bit of friction with Ghost because, you know, he, he wants to remind Ghost that he's not the king of the supers. He's not the only one out there. There are other people who are risking their lives to do what Ghost does. That's and true. I don't necessarily think Iborg is wrong in some of these things that he says. Now, he's not great. He's not very nice about a lot of things. And no, but neither is Artie. No, yeah, exactly. And um, it's kind of funny because Blaine, this is where, you know, we were talking a little bit before where Blaine is this go-between. Blaine is not exactly resistant to Artie's offer because Artie's like, come join us in this superhero thing. And Blaine, or Kurt's straight up, no, not doing that. Right. But but Blaine is a little like, mm, but he's well, he's still. And that's going to come up more in gray, too. That's yeah, it theme. is. It's a big theme in gray. Which is why I wonder if she kind of knew that she wanted to do this kind of thing in, in another. I think she had a big, long story planned out. So she uh-huh. decided to, like, cut one here, and then we'll just save that stuff for other. Well, it yeah. is going to be a little bit uh, relevant at the end of this one anyway. Um, but Blaine is still very much all about protecting Kurt here, and... Kurt has been a superhero longer than a lot of the other people that have been doing, except for if it's here or they mentioned there was somebody in like a woman in New Orleans who was a superhero, but she ended up dying. And there was somebody even in Detroit. I don't think this is, these are people that are supposed to be Glee characters. I think it's just mentioning that there there are more people out there in the world that were doing it. Right. Like this is a universe that exists with supers. Exactly. Exactly. Which is fun. I mean, I heard world building is actually phenomenal. Um, and yeah, so the other part of this chapter has to do with, um, Shelby and Beth actually, which for me came out of nowhere. Yeah, this is a little time. And I was like, um, okay. So she has been blackmailed by the Mata family to Uh kill the ghost because the ghost is a, um, Thing over not not because the ghost has a thing over her head that that'll be Terry later, uh, but because they they kidnapped her child, yes. and she has the ability to turn lifeless objects to to life, uh-huh. and they start. They, so she turns all these mannequins, they make them alive, and she makes them go after. She suggests to them that they go after Kurt. Now the problem becomes that they're going after anybody in a ghost costume, and of course for Halloween. Everybody's, you know, like half of New York's kids are dressed up as a ghost. So um, he needs to get them away from uh, these Other mannequins. People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it gets a little more complicated because, you know, they have her baby. So Kurt's like, I'm going to go get her baby back. She, he gives the, his cloak to Blaine, who will, you know, 
it, okay, so I'm not explaining this well because Shelby, if she shows that she stopped going after the ghost, they'll kill her baby. Right. And so she has to keep the ruse up. So the mannequins still have to be alive. So Blaine's going to be like, okay, they'll follow me around the city. You go get the baby. So we kind of get the split narrative. We get Kurt going to find the baby. And Blaine... um, Well, the interesting thing with the baby, though, it's all from Beth's point of view. It's kind of cute. It's... I mean, it's kind of scary because, you know, these scary people kidnapped a baby. And the baby's scary, right. but I don't know. I but mean, yeah, I would agree. It's it's cute in a you get a different point of view perspective and from someone you wouldn't normally get it from. I understand mm-hmm. what you're saying. I really do. Okay, and then um, but the the more interesting one is the Blaine one where he is yes. just he's ready to collapse and and he's been running around the city trying to you know and he's like. This is what a hero is. Like, this is the mm-hmm. first time he really gets what a hero is and wanting to push on despite wanting to quit. And literally, like, when Kurt returns with the kid, he basically, like, yeah, I don't, is it Kurt? Like, Kurt basically falls to him or he falls yeah. to I don't know. No, they, they, kind like, of, they basically fall into each other's arms. Like, they're yeah. exhausted. Exhausted. It, yeah, it's crazy. Um, they get Shelby and Beth somewhere safe. I, oh, Which, Ohio, Ohio, because why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, and then deciding to call it a night and uh, Kurt offering his own home, which is a huge gesture to Blaine. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, the, the two of them trying to keep going on because they're in, you know, they have something to fight for. I mean, yeah, they, you know, it's also saving the city again, but, um, but also this is a very pointed attack on them. And I think that's important. Um that you know this Mata family is you know yeah is bad news and it's it's I think Kurt well I know no I know that Kurt feels responsible because it was a hit taken out on him and they kidnapped Shelby's baby to take it out on him so mm-hmm. you know he's like well Shelby has to do what she has to do that's her child and it's it's a very interesting, you know, we've been talking lately about how Kurt, you know, it's, we're glad that like, you know, it's kind of the, the self-depreciation, the self-deprecating Deprecation, thing has yeah. stopped. But there's also something to be said for, well, people keep getting hurt because of him. Like he's doing all this good, but he doesn't feel like it's, it matters because mm-hmm. people are still getting hurt because of him. So like, it's this inner struggle with him. In a really, in you know, maybe this is crass, but in, a, in an interesting way. Yeah, and no, I know what you mean. What he's going to do to battle against that. Yep, exactly. And then, like I said, with the Blaine stuff being really woken up as to what mm-hmm. is a superhero and what, like, you know, you have to do this on your own. You're not going to always have ghosts there. You're not, I mean, like, when he gets a patrolling on his own, it's also going to be a first, like, oh, this is what it's like to be. But, you know, they're working as a team, but they're also having to be individuals. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, it is a, it's, there's a, there's a lot, a lot of plot in this one. Yes. Uh, a lot of things. And it's, it's, yeah. And also, like, what you were just saying about Blaine, you know, we talked earlier about how Kurt has to learn that he can rely on Blaine, but Blaine mm-hmm. also has to learn that sometimes he has to be by himself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, 
you know, it's both of those lessons being learned simultaneously. Exactly. And I like that. I mean, much more than the I'm a victim and nobody can love yes. me and, Correct. you know, trust me, trust me, trust me. I'm like getting away from that nonsense. The stuff, this is where I, chapter nine, a little bit in chapter eight, but chapter nine is really where it starts to pick up again. Yes. And and really where a lot of the really fun, juicy stuff starts to happen. And I, Rain, what Rain Joy does really well is that she uh, really is able to take these characters as a couple and explore them. And I think that's one reason why we get them so quickly um, into a relationship because a lot of it is it works better from the, these two are partners. How are they dealing with them against the world? Which right. is what I think a lot of people really wanted for the show and the show never really went there. Right. Um, so, so, yeah. So we have one more scene in chapter nine, and this is one of my favorite scenes that she Mine writes. Too. Oh, I love it so much. Um, I'm a stickler is... for this kind of scene, though. Like, I love first, I love yous. I love very domesticated silliness, or not silliness, but like softness. That's a big, that's a big plus for me. <laughs> you know, I must have said something wrong or wrote something wrong because. They end up at Blaine's house, though my note said Kurt offering his home, which is a big um, gesture to Blaine. I'll pull up my, I'll pull up the fic. Okay. I mean, I guess I could like grab my book, but anyway, while you're doing that, I'm going to start the setup for this. Like, like you said, this is so domestic and so just a moment of Kurt is at Blaine's house and, you know, just reveling in the domesticity of it like mm-hmm. they get up they make breakfast um getting the warmth he's always watched from the window which is an interesting callback to canon to that home yes. where kurt's like looking in i love when she actually does these throwbacks to canon very well um but he's you know finding it warm and he's making breakfast and whatnot and blaine comes up behind him very casually very mm-hmm. quietly and just says i love you yeah and it it's a lot like season two in that moment and Kurt's done, but he does say it back. And, you know, it, it, it's, as, he says as if he's waited for this whole life for this moment to happen. And it's just such a beautiful moment. Yes. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm listening, no. but I'm still trying to get to that. Part. It's okay. Let me see if I can, my book is right here too. So I just finally got to chapter nine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, um, I did have it back. No, Kurt, you're right. It says the ghost says you could sleep at mine. And um, there's still a strengthening and um, oh, but it is. I was wrong. It's Kurt. It is at Kurt's place. Kurt wakes up with a boy in his bed. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're that's right. what it is. All right, so yeah. I was right. Yeah, Kurt's, and so it's at Kurt's place. For some reason, I was thinking it was at Blaine's place, but it's not. It's at Kurt's place, and it is from Kurt's point of view. And then you know that a boy is taking up his place and watching mm-hmm. him do breakfast and watching him do all of this and watching you know, and. The just relaxed nature of it and how comfortable it is and how it's okay to have Blaine in his space, Mm -hmm. which he's a little bit stunned by. But the fact that this first I love you is very casual and, and yeah, it's just, it's just a really beautifully. It's, it's wonderful. It's so just warm and sweet and uh, those are the best kind, because if you try to make, and I love you, this grand gesture, it comes out feeling disingenuous. But when you make it a simple 
confession of feelings, then it's it's real and honest, and I just love it. That's why I love the way they did it in the show so much. Mm-hmm. I love the way they did it here and in fanfic when you just make it so easy. It's like mm-hmm. it's like what else? Am, you know, like it's almost like you say it with a shrug, like I love you, and that's it. That's mm-hmm. that's all. But it also exactly. Yeah, I, I I mean, really, it's the last scene of chapter nine. If you want to take a look and see if you want to read like this, this, you know, this is really the one of the best moments of both fix, really. Um, and I, I feel like if you just want to read a, a little bit of good writing, just grab chapter nine, yeah. read through the ending. It's beautiful. It's very, very well written. Um, yeah, sweet, soft moment. All right, and that's chapter nine. We're chapter rocking nine. it out. Chapter nine. Woo! We are now on chapter ten, chapter which is only 10. a third away through the freaking book. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this chapter has the major theme of intimacy running through it. Yes. The biggest thing about it is intimacy because the biggest thing that happens in this is this is the sex chapter this is where Mm -hmm. sex happens and it's not because everybody you know you know you get with fan fiction you get all excited about getting to the sex stuff and it's like whoa porn and this is not that really um she doesn't treat sex like fan fiction fan fiction god why can't i say fan fiction usually treats sex um this is definitely more integrated into the story and definitely more uh, a part of their narrative than it is just straight up porn without plot so right it's also told in a different way like pam says that it's um before we got started recording that's it's written as though there's a fuzzy lens on it yeah it's not a fade to black definitely and she will be a little bit more explicit with quite a few of her sex scenes going forward but it this is definitely a i'm not going to explain to you everything that's going on but it doesn't it's it's more reliant on emotion so um, we start off though, um, like a lot of the chapters are going to start off with fandom shenanigans um, and just random things. I like just not necessarily what the content is, but just some of the side throw off things. Like right. this post is so far over the line, the line is a dot to you. Um, you don't have to hate everything else to love your thing, which, which is, is huge. Huge. It is. It's super important. I mean, the fact, again, the reason I, one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss this, this fic is so that we can talk about some of these fandom issues. And this is one of them. You love Kurt or you love Blaine or you love, you know, Lord of the Rings or you love Star Trek or you love whatever the hell you love. You don't have to hate everything else to ha- to love your thing. Correct. And I think people forget that. Um and it, you know, it's just why it creates, you know, you can love Marvel and DC. That's fine. No problem. Right. You can love this character and this character. That's fine. Nobody is wrong. You don't have to win the internet. It's not a contest. Right. Sit down, shut up, stop. Right. So, um, it's so funny because she writes in here, it's like Lord of the Rings all over again. And I'm like, what? What is that even? I don't know what that reference is about. So it made me laugh. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's just a lot of, you know, talk about sex and swooning and keyboard smashes and it, it's just all very fan to me. So, um, when we get back to Kurt and Blaine though, it is definitely, 
Uh, Kurt is thinking about how people define him in negative ways. Rachel thinks that he's a slut. His dad thinks that he's fragile. Finn thinks that he's selfish. Um, I think Finn might be the only one that's close to right. I do think yeah. he's a little selfish. Um, but he's definitely not as fragile as his dad makes him out to be. And definitely not a slut. Definitely not a slut. Yeah, Rachel's the only one that's deliberately wrong. Um, Ray and Joy writes Kurt as a little more fragile than canon Kurt is. But he... Uh, it, the more this Kurt settles in, the less fragile he seems. Um, again, as we're getting away from all that female coding and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he thinks about Blaine thinking of him as a hero. And how it's still a weird thing to him because he doesn't necessarily feel like a hero. So... Um, the other thing, though, is Kurt's thinking about intimacy, and he finds that he, you know, he craves it. He wants it. He needs. He wants sex. He wants touch. He wants to, you know, he's scared of it, but he's overcoming his fear. He's just not there yet, but that's the point, is that one thing I like about this chapter is that, yeah, Kurt's like, you know, I've been afraid of this for a very long time, but Blaine is here. Blaine is somebody who really cares about me. I want to feel things with him that I may have not been open to before. Mm -hmm. So, so it's like the first time episode guys. It really is. I mean, it actually has some callbacks to the first time. Yep. Um, Blaine on meanwhile is getting a little restless about not having sex. Um, I mean, you know, that's the masturbation buddy. Um, so best far. Exactly. How far can he go? How far can he wait? And it's funny that Blaine says that he's he's framing this as I just want to express how much I'm in love. <sighs> I'm not sure how I feel about that thought. Yeah, but. it's. I mean, I literally just rolled my eyes. It's it's a very. It's, it, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. It's very, it's like it's, it puts the expectation on Kurt that if he doesn't have sex with him, then he's not showing him how much he loves him. Right. And there's lots and I, of different ways to express your love for someone. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I, I'm taking that quote out of context a little bit too. I mean, that is a dark quote that I wrote, but um, it's, not the only thing that Blaine is thinking about, and I. And no. It's definitely not the only thing that Rainjoy tried to express right here, but and it also is a a a commentary on that everybody has not great thoughts sometimes, right? But at the same time, it's you know, you're right. There are other ways to express your love, but you are not. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? It and, and there the stuff with I can't believe this is with Marley and Jake before they yes. break up. When Jake is like, well, I've been waiting this long, you know, don't you, it's like, don't you owe me this at this point? And no, right. you don't ever owe no, anyone sex. No, you never owe and, sex. And I want to make it explicit that this is not how Blaine and Kurt get to sex. There's none of that there when they actually get to the sex part of it. But, <sighs> you know, we talk about the good and the bad here. I don't try right. to shy away, away from criticism, just like I wouldn't with canon. So, um. But, like, when things like this happen, honestly, what I literally tell myself is everybody has not great thoughts sometimes. It doesn't explain a bad character. Not at all. And that's the other thing. Let's just be... I want to be reassuring that I 
still like Blaine as a character. And I, I, you know, I wonder if she understands Kurt a lot. I don't think she understands Kurt as much either, but, um, I, I think that she understands the dynamic a specific way. Uh Um, and sometimes the dynamic that she's going for is not always true to Kurt and Blaine's characters. Uh-huh. Um, if that makes any sense. And yeah, I realize we are now 10 chapters into an AU. You, the characters are not canon anymore. That definitely right. is a thing, but, um, right. just interesting stuff to get to. I'm, I'm, I, you know, and it's funny. I said to Bethany, she can quote me on this, that way back when we started it, like, I'm like, let's try and stay away from the canon comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> she did. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I can't, I kind of yeah, can't. Really That's how can't. I. I contextualize the stuff in with Canon and there are some, but even if it wasn't in, it almost might be worse out of Canon context because I wouldn't be as forgiving to Blaine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to say that this, these are different characters and I do know any feelings for the characters here are not reflective of what I feel for them in Canon. Cause I just think it's a different thing. Right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, the, there's stuff about Kurt and touch coming up. And again, I, I, it's something that's different and that handled the different in canon. Um, because canon Kurt is much warmer towards touch. He's much more open towards it. He's yes. you know we do talk we did talk a lot about it um, back in especially in seasons one and two. But Kurt had other people in his life, Mercedes, Rachel, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that he was able to open up to. And I think because of that. Um, touch is not necessarily the thing that it seems to be here no so but you also have to remember that he didn't have that mm-hmm. so like this this version mm-hmm. of kurt maybe didn't have that right so, exactly you know you have to kind of like take that into account like maybe season one season two kurt never really moved on from that and has carried it with him until 24 year old kurt 26 right. year old kurt. exactly so um, the other thing that gets brought up, and I'm glad that she puts the Kurt stuff first to kind of put the gabosh on this kind of stuff, um, is that Blaine's like, well, maybe he's asexual. Now, mm-hmm. asexual is not a bad word. There are people out there. It is a legitimate thing. And if you, um, you know, are in a relationship with an asexual person, you, I would assume that you have communication about other ways that you can show intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, here though, Kurt runs a little more demisexual, you know, he yes. doesn't really like the idea of sex, but when it becomes about blame and sex, he, he really likes, you know, when those two things are conflated, um, it becomes a different story. So while I don't think canon Kurt is demisexual at all, I can make a case here for this one. I Kurt agree. And, yeah. So I definitely agree. In fact, I remember when, because I didn't, this is a long time ago, Pam, you probably don't remember this, but like when we first had the conversation about demisexual, I didn't really understand what it was. And we Mm -hmm. kind of talked about how Kurt in All the Other Ghosts is, and that's kind of how I got the understanding of it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Um, That's interesting. Well, now, and I identify as demisexual, so it's something that, and it's not an easy process to get to because you, you don't understand if like... Or is there just something wrong with you? Or is there something like, you know, maybe you're just repressing feelings for something or maybe, you don't, you know, and it's really, it's not, it's a thing where you just kind of, the best way I can explain it is that 
what I call quote unquote normal people, <laughs> um, people with a, a average sexual drive, they can see somebody walking along the street and they'd be like, wow, that guy is handsome or that girl's hot. I want to have sex with that person. And within my own identification of demisexual, I don't see that. Like I have to have some kind of connection. emotional connection with that person to find them sexually attractive. I, I just don't see people walking down the street and go, wow, those people are really hot. I would like to have a sexual encounter, even if it's just a one night stand, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't have that at all. Right. And that is why this Kurt here speaks more to that, to me, whereas Canon Kurt just has, you know, found too many guys attractive right off the bat that I, I just don't. Yeah. So, but it's an interesting conversation, and I'm I'm glad for that too. I'm glad that she allows this character to be, um, complicated. To be that complicated. I just it, it, a lot of like, because I even think that asexuality is something that's like okay, well, people just don't want to have sex, and I and I that's don't, not really it though. Yeah, it's not. It's so much more layered than that, right? And I feel like. A lot of people may not understand, especially if you are somebody who just you see see every other person and like, wow, that person's hot and that person's hot and that, you know, and not understand that it's not like, wow, I hate sex. It's I can't have sex with um, somebody I just don't know. I just don't want to. And nothing about that is appealing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but it isn't a distaste of actual sex where there are people who. Uh, you know, for reasons, maybe asexuality or maybe something else happened to them that they just do not like sex. And there's a difference. And it's just a a thing that I'd like to clarify there, just my own personal thing. So, all right. So, um, we're talking about, so then the big, there's a big action set piece that happens here, which Uh takes up most of the chapter. Um, There's the honey badger, who is Terry. Yes, uh, I do. I do like the ghost. Is like you guys come up with horrible names because <laughs> the pink dagger and honey badger and oh, show. Thank you for giving us these. Um, and she's a shapeshifter. Um, which yeah, I did not understand the first read through of this several years ago when I read it for the first time. I did this chapter was very confusing to me it is i didn't understand a lot of it and even rereading it for this podcast i still had some issues understanding what was going on yeah it's not the problem is basically there's a whole sequence to to kind of sum it up that terry Changes herself because you don't know that she's a shift shapeshifter at first. Um, she changes herself to Blaine as Phalanx and um, basically drudges up some of his worst fears and says a lot of bad things to him. And like, you know, you're not a real hero and you're a horrible person and, you know, I could do everything without you and tries to kill him. He falls off a building and ends up like swooping down into the ground and save himself and come back up. Meanwhile, um, Blaine sees all of this from a distance, and it's super weird. Um, and I will get we'll we'll get into a little bit more detail in a minute, but um, and he basically I don't know exactly know what happens. He lets her go because he has to go find Kurt. Uh-huh. Basically, she gets out of there. He goes after Kurt. 
then Kurt finds him and everything's fine and they go back to the house and then it goes into a done thing. But the problem is that it's so vague in the action. Vague. I don't know yes. if she was just in a hurry writing it, but you don't always understand what's going on. Right. Um, the part with, well, now when you realize she's a shapeshifter, the part with the ghost with the fake phalanx is a little bit easier. You're like, okay, this part, because there's a definite breaking point. It's two different scenes. But the stuff with Blaine, you're like, it is a little, like, what is going on? It doesn't, it doesn't read very well, unfortunately, and to, it to really piece together. She isn't explicitly like, this happens and then this happens. It's, okay, over here, and then, it, and then I'm over there, and then Kurt, where is he? And then it's all of the inner head part of it right. without any concrete, okay, well, where are they? So just as an FYI for all of you aspiring writers, always make sure that you know where your characters are right. so that you can like place them in the world. Where did Kurt go? Oh, he went into the ground, and now he's back up on the ground a block away. Um, when you don't define your space, your audience becomes confused. And she's just not defining where the characters are or how they got there. Um, so it's it's the feeling stuff is fine, but knowing where and how the characters are in their physical places Correct. is what's vague. Yes. Um you know, and it is, it's an interesting sequence from a psychological perspective because Ghost is basically having, quote-unquote, phalanx tell him all the things that he's worried about and, and, right. and been fearing. And, and it is an interesting there. But the problem is that when Kurt and Blaine meet up again, he is very trusting of Blaine in a way that I don't think he should be. I mean, he just had his run-in with a shapeshifter. Well, yeah, and in trying to figure out how I feel about this, I kind of came to the conclusion that I think what she's trying to tell us is that Kurt stared his worst fear or like, yes, stared his fear in the face and conquered it. Right. So therefore he's like, okay, I will survive this. What that wasn't real, but I thought it was real at the time. And because mm -hmm. I thought it was real and I survived it, I will be okay if it ever is a reality. Right, which is a good, it is a really good sequence in for that kind of, you know, it is a neat metaphor for Kurt having to face his own fears. Correct. It just, because of the fact that you don't exactly know the action of what is going on, it, right. it makes you feel disassociated with what's going on and it can be hard to follow. Correct. Um, the other thing with Blaine... Blaine contemplates actual murder. <laughs> yeah. He's going to kill. He's going to kill her. Um, because she says, you know, she's doing it for the money because the Mata family has a hit out on it. And he is, you know, she's hurt. He basically watched this whole psychological drama go down. And this is where I do. I'm going to, again, I am going to stick up for Canon Blaine. I think, I, this may sound weird, and Bethany, you can totally tell me if you feel differently. I think that Kurt, Canon Kurt might have it in him to murder someone. Blaine does not. Blaine. I don't know if I would agree that Kurt has it in him as well. He's very empathetic, mm -hmm. but I don't think that Blaine does either. Yeah. I, I, and there aren't very many times that Blaine goes to this anger place, but this is... No. Uh, even in the story, I mean, like, yeah, there's not really, this is, this almost feels out of character for even her Blaine. 
Mm-hmm. For, um, I would agree with that. But then it gets, it just frustrates me because we've been doing so well and we get more into this coding again where Blaine is the hyper-masculine, um, I need to protect thing. You hurt my person. I'm going to kill you. Right. I could see Kurt. I don't know if he would actually contemplate murder, but that right. would be dead with his words. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's okay. That's I like that better. Um. So like, whereas Kurt and Kurt's going to be the one that's going to fly off in anger. Kurt's yes. going to be the one that's going to say something he's going to regret or do something he's going to regret. And I'm not saying that Blaine isn't capable of that, but Blaine especially post-season four Blaine is a little bit more like think before he acts. Yes. I don't almost agree though. He's like, well, I mean like, yeah, I get that there's like the cheating stuff and you know, but that's a di- just a different thing. No. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different entity, but I'm, I just meant like, he's, he's more, <laughs> as we talked about in Canon, Blaine's more well, more apt to hurt himself before he hurts anybody else. Yes. He's a self-sabotager. Right. And what I meant by post-season four is that I feel like the stuff in season four kind of, it was like a a way for him to be like, no, stop and think. Yeah. Like, well, it also defines him as a character better. Right. Yeah. So, um, now the stuff after Blaine goes into murder mode, which, it, like I said, it's a little jarring because he's like, I'm going to kill Very you. jarring. It, it just Very feels jarring. out of place. I think it's, again, one of those things that when you have an editor, um, you, the editor says, eh, this doesn't work character, you know, with your character, pull it back. And even Blaine saying, I'm going to hurt you would feel a little better than the straight up murder, murder right. Blaine. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, but the part after, this is the part where I really, really had a hard time figuring out what's going on is, when Blaine is searching for Kurt, like he's looking under a car and there's a guy next to him and what happened? I I don't, whatever. I don't know what happened. All I know is that Kurt shows back up, falls into Blaine's arms and is totally cool with going back to Blaine's apartment. Now I can see Kurt saying, you know, let's go to your apartment to make, just double check to make sure Blaine's Blaine. But, um, Uh it is a little too easy. I, there would be, I feel like there should be a checkpoint of, you know, tell me about this thing. And, you know, here's this thing and you know well kurt does say and this is what i was thinking about earlier earlier whenever it's still honey badger he's like what tell me my name say my name oh that's right i think he kind of is already kind of understanding that it's not blaine or at that point i think he thinks that some blaine inhaled something and doesn't yeah because there was all of the um there was gas and honey badger had a bunch of gas and stuff like that so, like, I think that at that point, Kurt had already realized that this either isn't Blaine or is Blaine altered. So, that's another way I can kind of rationalize it in my brain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tiny nitpick. I'm yeah. being really nitpicky it's about it. It's not a tiny nitpick. <laughs> it is, it is, it is, I mean... <sighs> I, the Kurt that I know is not going to just be like, oh, let's go have sex after this major thing just happened. That's the other thing, because then we get back to Blaine's apartment, and then complete left turn. Now, I feel like there should have been a day in here to, yes. like, decompress. Or just even, like, a night. Like, they yeah. Out, and then it's the next morning. Yeah, you need some time to decompress. You're not going to go from a high adrenaline, almost death situation to give me sex. It just, mm-hmm. it just eh, not happen. in this way, not in. So anyway, yeah, this is where, and I, I think that Kurt realizing, you know, 
he could have died. I don't want to die without knowing Blaine in the intimate sexual way, which mm-hmm. is fine. That's a great realization for him. But he's not going to be like, I want to do it now. Get your pants off. Like, right. <laughs> which is what happens. It really is. Like, it's not a joke. That's actually what happens. <laughs> um, he, he does express that he's a virgin and, um, you know, he's... Uh, t- which is fine, um, or that he's not even that necessarily he's a virgin, but that he's never done anything at all intimate with anybody else. Because mm-hmm. I, I just virginity as a concept doesn't work for me anymore. Um, but um, yeah, isn't it so weird how our our view as virginity as a concept has changed? Like mine yeah. has changed dramatically, even in the last five years. Yeah, me too. I don't think of. I just yeah. where do you draw lines? What yeah. do you consider like and it's different for every person and so why are we still using this word that's so outdated and yeah. really seeped in biblical bullshit? So it's yeah. like I just don't like the word anymore. I don't really either. It's it's frustrating because you can be and very uh, just a sexual person and not have yeah. intercourse with a penis into a vagina. Right. I, so uh, plus I really have always said, you know, it's something that with women, uh, I'm kind of going outside and doing my own little spiel um, that I think women especially are so told at a very young age by society that you are defined by your sexual worth mm-hmm. and when you realize that you you know you're not your worth is not dependent on how much somebody wants to sleep with you mm-hmm. that idea of virginity isn't an issue anymore who cares mm-hmm. of you know who has touched you and why or how many times or whatever it doesn't matter right um and because you are in control of your self-worth and you just uh, the concept of it just uh, mm. Whatever. And like it gets into icky territory where it's like, how many people have you slept with? And right. Sort of stuff. And it's so, like, you are the one that gets to decide what you want or what your standard of whatever is or your field. Like, nobody else gets to decide that for you. There's not a parameter or a ruler that you have to measure up against. Exactly. So, I just, just virginity as a concept is just so outdated and I just don't like it anymore. Yeah, I don't really either. And it's like, like, as you were saying, I mean, you can have sex with zero people and you Mm -hmm. can have sex with 50 people. It doesn't matter. And also like, again, like what I was saying, you know, if you have, you know, mastered the art of masturbation and can orgasm on a dime you know, right. probably, Plus, you could be more experienced than some guy who tried to have sex with a girl once and it sucked and he hasn't tried anything else since then. Who's the more sexual person? Right. I, I mean, so. Right. Yeah. So all these concepts of virginity. So th- I, again, I doesn't, it doesn't seem it's for all Rainjoy and she does a lot of, you know, forward thinking. And but I just, even five years ago, Six years ago, these were different conversations. I feel yeah, like, for sure, yeah. especially with women, and especially you know whatever. So in the in in a broad spectrum of women, like mm-hmm. I think these conversations were probably happening before five or ten years ago, but they were in very 
you know, specific sex of people, sect right. of people, not sex. Yeah, I know. I, I got it, but it's funny. Um, <laughs> but now that, that, you know, group or whatever is so much larger and the conversations are so much more prevalent that it's just a different area of, of conversation now. Yes, exactly. And so I feel like there's, it's better to focus on Kurt being like, look, you know, I've never done this with anybody else and right. scary and, and, and intimacy is scary. You know, you can leave the word virgin out of it completely. Correct. And, um, and it's still focus. the same conversation. Exactly. And Blaine not caring about it. Like what right. I, you know, there's the other thing that I feel like, I feel like people miss a lot. The first time you have sex with somebody new, that is the first time you've had sex with them. And that is a new experience for both of you. So I don't care if you've like slept with zero people or a hundred people. The first time you sleep with that first person, that person is the first time you slept with the person, that person. And that right. is a different experience. And I feel like that is more important than it's overlooked a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Having the real conversations on the, <laughs> all the other ghost podcasts. I right. think it's important though. I hope people listen and, and understand what we're saying. And yeah, definitely just like the way she uses her, you know, we, the way Rainjoy uses her fic as a way to have commentary on fandom and fandom conversations. We're kind of doing the same thing. I'm right. <laughs> it's all this inception dream within a dream stuff. Right. So anyway, so the point is they, um, they have their first sex scene. Mm-hmm. And first of all, because Rainjoy makes it a point, um, there's a lot of scars. Kurt carries yes. a lot of scars. It's it's both literal and figurative. Kurt does have a lot of scars on him after all of the things that have happened to him. I mean, uh, she goes into it a little bit more later, but I mean, there's definitely the one long one where she tried to face through something and it didn't work. Um, there's like the burns on him. There's one point I think maybe I don't even know if this comes up so great. I'm pretty sure he was shot by a serial killer. Yeah, um, I think so. And, um, yeah, there's all these scars, but, you know, Blaine still, you know, it's about it. it the, the metaphor of it though, is that everybody brings baggage into a relationship yes. and you carry your experiences forward with you and you have to accept them. And, and, you know, Blaine may not have any physical scars on him, but he has baggage too. And the fact that, you know, they are able to be intimate with each other and be in this moment, this very loving moment, with all of this baggage is the important part of it, which is what I think Rainjoy is going for. The metaphor, though, is the fact that everybody brings baggage into their relationship. And yes. even though, you know, Kurt has some literal scars on him, but Blaine also has some metaphorical scars with him. And, the, you know, you come in and you have this very loving and intimate moment with another person, um, despite all of the baggage that you bring to it. And that is the important part of a relationship, um, that you're able to accept the other person for all of the scars on them in their life. And I think that on that, you know, that's a good point to be making. I do like when she goes out of her way to, to define that kind of stuff. Now, the sex itself is is kind of, you know, as we said earlier, fuzzy. fuzzy. Uh, you don't really understand. It's not until later that you realize, because at the end, Kurt's like, next time I want you to fuck me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, so it was fraudage or something. Right. It's like they're just rubbing up on each other because it's it's so ill defined. You're not really sure what's going on. Right. Um, it's uh, yeah. I don't know if we should talk about the whole Kurt being the one always to bottom thing. <laughs> no, 
It's such a played out conversation. I don't know. It's up to you. Well, I mean, it doesn't happen in the scene anyway. So we'll wait. I'll wait till okay. we talk about that until later. It's something for you guys to look forward to. <laughs> Long story short, though, Kurt always bottoms. And I don't, this is one time where it's a narrative choice. I don't think it is as steeped in the coding. Uh huh. Um, it hits it there a little bit, but not. I, she made a choice that the characters were going to be like this. It isn't necessarily about Kurt being the girl and Blaine being the boy, right? But anyway, um, but anyway, it doesn't matter on the scene anyway because it's 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 fine. It's nice. It's not her best sex scene, but it it works for the moment. Um, the next morning they wake up and they kind of. The, the thing that I like is this next scene, though, because Kurt wakes up and he has different feelings about sex because before, you know, he sees sex as this very gritty and, you know, uh, well, intrusive also, thing. I oh, go ahead. I think he was scared of it. He was yeah. a lot of fear surrounding sex, too. So, and I think yes. that fear is gone. And so without that fear, it's easier to look at it objectively. Yes. And, and from a place of, you know intimacy too right but he, at the same time kind of going back to our demisexuality conversation he conflates sex with blaine now which is mm-hmm. to him a different thing there's one thing of all those like you know the people that are like you know the men who are raping those women or the people who are just hooking up in those cd you know gross clubs it's different than oh well this person loves me and i'm sharing this this physical thing with this person that I love and it becomes a different thing. Like mm-hmm. Kurt, sorry, Blaine and sex are connected and he can function with the idea of sex because it's connected to Blaine. Right. So, and I do, I mean, it's kind of funny cause he's like, well, I want to do that as often as possible now. Now that he understands. Right. Exactly. Once you start, you're not going to want to stop. Yep. Um, then there's just a little bit of interesting stuff at the end here though because like Kurt goes through Blaine's blog and he's still perplexed by the amount of love that he gets um I don't know why he went through Blaine's blog but he did yeah it's a weird thing um there's Cooper meeting sorry Kurt meeting Cooper for the first time which is hilarious because Cooper is his major Broadway star and, and Rachel and Cooper went Rachel and Kurt went to go see a Broadway play with him in it and he's wearing Cooper's pants and it just it's funny. It's just this funny little right. it's very much uh I'm gonna do the big brother part of, you know, this big. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, does for it sure. fully fit with the character she's built? No, I don't think it does. Um, but it's it's a really cute moment. It is. Um, and then this chapter actually ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger. She doesn't do this very often. But after Cooper leaves, Kurt is like, you know what? I'm going to finally tell you about my past. And kind of cuts it off there. Mm-hmm. And so that is yeah. where we're going to end. I'm not going to. We'll talk about that. In the, the only other thing, though, um, there's a little interlude. It's called Code Wa- Cold Water. And it's about the time when, um, a few years back, when Kurt was in that fire and he manages to get out of the fire and he ends up into a sewer and he's almost dying. He's just laying there on the ground, just freezing cold, trying to get, um, trying to text Finn to go come get him. Uh There's a little bit of, the imagery is a little bit like, 
um, the very famous Spider-Man cover that they did in, um, they eventually would do in Spider-Man Homecoming, um, where basically Spider-Man has to lift the rubble off his, uh, off himself and mm-hmm. survive, except for Kurt. I mean, there's not anything on him, but Kurt can't do that. He can't lift himself up and continue right. on. He's, he's basically done. And, and Finn does show up, um, and saves him and but he's angry. Yeah, he's angry about it. This Finn is very angry about, you know. Um, I mean, this Finn is put in a very awkward position. But, yeah. you know, we have to, we do need to recognize that Finn has anger, too. Yeah, he did. Um, And not terribly, unrightfully so. I think there no. are times that, you know, Kurt is being a little selfish in some regards. If the, right. I mean... And this stuff, uh, yeah. But the point is that Kurt almost dies. And had Blaine not shown up, Kurt would have died. It just mm-hmm. there would have been a point where this would be the end of Kurt. And right, because he would have gotten himself into that situation again, and Finn would right. have been able to make it. Right. And it's you know she puts it here after you know. Kurt and Blaine, well, for two reasons, because it's going to go into his past a little bit, but just to say, you know, Kurt and Blaine are finally at this intimate place in their life and their relationship in this trusting place in their life and relationship. And let's take a look at back at how far we came before we talk about Kurt's going to open up in chapter 11 right. and talk about his past. So. Right. Which is on our next podcast. Which will be on our next podcast that we will do for you guys. Uh, meanwhile, um, send us stuff. We like stuff. We like talking we to you guys stuff. about this. Um, I will answer because I've got it pulled up here. Sherry Cat sent us some stuff in. Um, she says, Hi, I'm really enjoying your all the other ghost podcasts and keep waiting for you to discuss how Roaring Joy directly tied all the characters' superpowers and with their personalities. For instance, I can't remember the timing, but Santana sang Girl is on Fire before. Did she sing Girl is on Fire before or after eight, all the other ghosts? Um, well, to... Oh. I was going to say, it's after. She it's sings after. it in the um, in season four. There, the reason... Um, the reason... If we, should we do... We should do a little bit of rundown. We, we have a little bit of time. Um... Kurt and Blaine, we've gone through at length. Um, go back and listen to all the podcasts. We talk about right. it at length with it. They're very acquainted. Santana, uh, okay, so there is a, it just kind of goes off of stereotypes. Santana is a, a Latina character, and the there's a stereotype. Uh, yeah, there's a, a stereotype of Latina, Latino people in general being very fiery and feisty. So that's what that's kind of drawn on. And there she is. Santana's a, a feisty character. So her uh, fieriness comes from that. Um, Brittany being not knowing her own strength. Um, it kind of comes from the fact that she's a childlike character. And what would be an interesting thing to pair up with that brute strength. It's, it's actually mm-hmm. a theme that happens in, I mean, you look at the incredible Hulk. He has a childlike understanding of the world but he's a brute and uh, even thor in the mcu films he's very childlike but he is a a lot of strength and that that kind of thematic stuff comes up over and over again um we've got finn and rachel are human so they don't count um trying to think if there's anything else that Um, there are more kids maybe puckzilla um 
Yeah, I mean, Puckzilla is just brute anger. strength and anger. And anger. Yeah. Um, because Puck is an angry person and, and he, well, and then he calls himself Puckzilla in, um, canon. Yeah. So it is, uh, you know, you can draw from that, but it's just that kind of angry dinosaur ish type raw animalistic thing. That's mm-hmm. kind of where that draws out, um, to move forward a little bit. Um, Sam is going to be like the flash, very super fast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can draw some direct personal stuff, but that makes sense to me. I mean, you you have a opening for what kind of character have you not done yet? A fast uh-huh. character. Excuse me. It actually is more for plot type thing. Um, mm-hmm. Iborg, Artie. The reason Artie is our cyborg slash Iron Man. Um, Artie is a smart character, but he is also bound by, uh, by his wheelchair. And so... Mm-hmm. Out of necessity, um, somebody like Artie would be able to build something more than be somebody with a, a, a traits. So that makes a lot of sense to me that he would be mechanical, um, an engineer, and he is gonna he's going to create things. So he's going to create a suit, which makes sense to me. Um, Quinn is going to be a psychic. I was thinking about this earlier today too. It's perfect for her, um, and I can't even explain why. But it's just the fact that Quinn is an intelligent character and usually telepaths end up being more intelligent characters. The fact that she can, you know, in the story, she'll be able to read your mind and, and do things with her mind and be very inward mm-hmm. is again, she's a very manipulative person yes. in canon and telepaths can be very manipulative. Right. So, um, we've got some side characters like, um, the pink dagger again, it's a canon thing. So, what do you do with the pink dagger? Well, you make him ridiculous. Right, honey, right. honey badger as a shapeshifter was really just out of plot necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, Mercedes, you won't, we won't be her till gray. Mercedes has vocal power, mm-hmm. um, she does things with her voice, and again, it kind of comes out with obviously Mercedes is great with her voice, and um, yeah. Trying to think if there's anybody major that I'm missing, but we'll try and go through. I know we tried to talk a little bit about Santana and, and Brittany when they came in, but we'll try to talk about um, the other characters and their superhero powers when when that comes up. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so um, her her thing continues. I think it was okay. Kurt in season one probably wishes he couldn't be touched by bullies, hence his ability to become intangible and all the other ghosts. Although his fashion choices don't make him try to make him invisible. Um, Yeah, that's, I mean, this Kurt, as we talked about, um, is different. He does want to become invisible. And, um, but Kurt is very, I want you to see me when I want you to see me. And I don't want you to see me when I don't want you to see me. Right. Uh, Some of the fashion choices are a part of that as well. Right. Um, Blaine comes to defend Kurt, hence the shields. Yeah, that's that might be the most blatant on the nose mm-hmm. one. Yeah, you know, for sure. Um, on another note, is there any way I can get a printed version of all the other ghosts in gray since they were part of the boxing project? Uh, unfortunately, as far as I know, no. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> um, right. The boxing project is a thing that does not exist anymore. Um, if you go to their website, it is. I did. I looked at. It's now an Indian cuisine recipe. Shut I don't up. Know. And, and dead serious. Um, yeah, if you go to the boxingproject.org, it is now a Indian cuisine recipe blog. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know what they became. They became somebody else. I don't know what it is. 
Um, but they don't do anything with Glee anymore. And they're really, they're social rights activists, but they don't really do anything with fandoms anymore. Um, and that's the last time I checked, which is now a couple of years ago. I mean, they may be completely something different. So I got these, I, I just, I'm so glad I took the chance, but I got the two books because I paid 60 bucks for them to a charity. It was not paid for Fox. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, um, it was for charity and I, they bound up these and as many as they, you know, orders that they got in. Um, I do know that there are people out there that do PDF versions of fix. Mm-hmm. There might be a few out there. If, if somebody knows the answer to this question, that'd be great. But as far as I know, you guys are not able to get the copies that I got. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I would love to get, cause it does feel like a piece of literature more. So when you have it held in your hand, right. Um, so, well, thank you, Sherry Catho, for bringing your your. She her, her her message was I missed that chance as I was starting to dip my toes into fandom at that point. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I yeah. I wish there was somebody that still could do that, but I'm I'm glad her stuff is still up on Live Journal because Live Journal has been a mess for years now. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, send us more stuff. We love talking about stuff. We love, we love talking about, about this. Stuff. We'll be back soon with with eleven. So, yay! Thanks, Ooh. guys. Bye. Thanks. But now they're okay Only me or my You're the apple of my eye Girl, I never loved one like you Found you hiding here So won't you take my hand, darling There's nothing that can stop you From becoming popular Lar And